When searching for something to read, I am always most interested in wisdom literature, which can take almost any form fiction or nonfiction, a novel or a work of philosophy, a play or a treatise, an encyclopedia or a pamphlet, a sacred scripture written on gold plates, or a profane graffiti sprayed upon a dirty dumpster. Shakespeare proved this more than anyone with his perfect mix of the sacred and profane. Two of my children are in a production of Romeo and Juliet. If only those who wish to ban books knew what Shakespeare was really saying, they would demand he be removed from our schools. The problem is that those who wish to ban books are ones who do not read books, thereby not knowing what sublime works they are missing out on what wisdom they have passed over by wishing to avoid even the appearance of evil. What of being wise as serpents? Most of what I'm sharing today is actually an excerpt from a book I began long ago for my children to share with them some of the ideas that have formed me. Most of that book I've had to toss in the trash as I've changed so much over the years, but this section about wisdom and reading I still mostly agree with and have edited to be more in line with my current sensibilities. But first... Are you tired of reading? Do you wish someone else would do all of the reading for you and then present you with cliff notes in the most simplistic terms? Possible? Well, no need to worry any longer with blonde hair dye. When you're fun and beautiful, you don't have to be smart, silly. That's blonde hair dye. Why do your own work when you could be blonde? The optimistic reader has faith that no matter how much bad or mediocre literature exists in the world, there still exists great literature that has not been read or written and is worth the effort of a patient search. Even with internet search engines and online encyclopedias, nothing has yet to eclipse the book as conveyors of knowledge. Much to the dismay of Socrates, the written word still remains more powerful than the spoken word, if for no other reason than its ability to store large quantities of ideas that we can refer to again and again, and in the way we can disseminate books to the varied populace of every nation. So much of our best knowledge is then gained as a product of this patient faith, this seeking out of the best books. The Mormon faith has a scripture which reads, Seek ye diligently, and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning, even by study, and also by faith. Of books and authors, there are many who have contributed to the world's wisdom, and yet, when compared to the vast number of people who have inhabited the earth, the amount of thinkers whose ideas have transcended time and place are extremely few. Fear, mediocre literature, film, and arts of all kinds. Mediocrity is a canker 
to the soul. Do not be fooled by those who say you must read this or watch that. The latest craze is only the latest mediocrity. As the literary critic Harold Bloom brilliantly put it, we owe mediocrity nothing. Expounding on this, Bloom, in an interview with Charlie Rose, also stated, quote, It matters what we read. If our memories are full of mediocrity, then we won't be able to think well. If, as a nation, we can't think well, then there goes democracy. Unquote. To hear or read a message, and even to understand it thoroughly, does not constitute learning. Learning involves the application of what has been taught. Most humans understand that violence against another is wrong, that stealing is wrong, that lying is wrong. Yet how many of us can claim to be guiltless of these crimes? None. Learning should be an act of conversion. What did Jesus tell Peter? When you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter went on to deny having known the Christ thrice before the cock crew and would realize, as the rest of us must, that conversion is a process and not a moment. We cannot hope to be of any service in this world if we are not converts to the gospel of learning. Reading is only a beginning, but it's the best beginning I can think of it's also the most enjoyable to my mind. Reading the best books of wisdom is a struggle with the sublime, and we are always in danger of becoming what we read. Be sublime. Let no knucklehead drag us down to the lower rungs of aesthetics. Filling our minds with great thoughts is a matter of survival, the survival of hope. There will come a time when all of us will need such great thoughts, and those who don't fill their minds with greatness will not survive such times. As we learn to read strongly, lusting after the best ideas this world has to offer, recognizing metaphor as the sublime's way of communicating with us, and innuendo as our own mode of self-deception, we will seek out the best books on our own, and will need no prodding. When we are young, we are duped into the newest book series about wizards or vampires or teenage manhunters, but this should pass and we finally wonder how it was we ever thought such things were ever worth the time it took to read the back cover. Quoting Harold Bloom again, we read deeply for varied reasons, most of them familiar. We cannot know enough people profoundly enough. We need to know ourselves better. We require knowledge, not just of others, but of the way things are. Yet, the strongest, most authentic motive for deep reading is the search for a difficult pleasure. That's from Harold Bloom's book, How to Read and Why. Educated people scare me. They scare me because they have learned so much and most have never bothered with wisdom. It should scare anyone that a person can receive a teaching degree and get hired to be a teacher of any subject without studying and seeking at least some wisdom. What good is knowledge 
Without wisdom, we may as well be giving weapons of mass destruction to those with no concept of the value of human life. We destroy our society's future when wisdom is not taught in school, when it is not required learning. Contrary to popular belief, wisdom does not come with age, as is displayed in Shakespeare's King Lear. And the fool tells Lear, If thou wert my fool, uncle, I'd have thee beaten for being old before thy time. And Lear asks, How's that? To which the fool responds, Thou shouldst not have been old till thou hadst been wise. Alas, wisdom, like so many things that should be bound to it, love, learning, morality, ethics, etc., is difficult, if not impossible, to measure. Some authors of the best literature and poetry and many other artists that have made us wiser through their works have been guilty of terrible life choices. It is difficult to live up to one's own standards when we strive for the sublime. We shouldn't bother ourselves too much with the idea that wisdom should be had from the most perfect among us. Wisdom can be a burden that is too much for our mortal frame, and our nature is to rebel against that which we cannot achieve. George Washington strove almost his entire life for a legitimate place in King George's army. At least in rebellion, Washington had the last laugh. Wisdom is difficult, and it is taxing. But do not do with wisdom literature and art what America did with King George. When reading, listening, or studying art in any form, take from it what is already ours, lay claim upon it, and let that which we have already known continue to change us and help us become. Wisdom is wasted in heaven. Pray that it may come down here where it is useful to mankind. Read observe, listen, and think deeply about everything. With the proper madness, unwisdom becomes wisdom, the antagonist, the protagonist, and the hollowed-out insides a vessel overflowing. It is during my most terrible days that inspiration finds me. When things are well, I feel as if the muses have abandoned me, that life has nothing left to teach me. If something I write is praised, I find myself unable to continue writing. It requires an emptying out of the soul for inspiration to find room within us. How could a still, small voice be heard in the clamor of success? The world measures success monetarily, counting our accumulation of things. We should judge our success by our emptiness our inner void that can only be filled by and with wisdom. Philosophy is, or at least started out being, the love of wisdom. Nowadays, we usually think of philosophy as our personal thoughts on a subject, no matter how ignorant and unfounded they are. Yet the wisdom of those who love wisdom is found in the application of knowledge, how we use what we know. More specifically, philosophy's end goal is the search for the good, and nothing less than wisdom can give us the ability to judge what is or is not good and why. 
This search and such wisdom can take many forms and lead to many different disciplines, but that wisdom which has consumed my mind the most is that which judges value. Wisdom is unlike logic in this way. Logic can only verify if an argument is valid. The truth and value of an argument are, as Wittgenstein, the famous logician, admitted, outside of this world. There exists wisdom of limited value. Wear your shoes outside. Get your car's oil changed regularly. Do your homework. Don't drink milk that's been left out for too long. All of this is helpful, but what about feeling the earth beneath one's feet? Walking instead of driving. The education that cannot be had with schoolwork. And yes, don't, don't drink old milk. There is value in things that cannot be proven with syllogisms and Venn diagrams. What is the value of human life? Survival of the species? What is the value of health? To live long? What is the value of long life? To continue existing? What is so valuable about existing at all? To feel happiness, joy, sadness, melancholy? Can we have any conversation about these sensations without measuring value? We could keep going, but eventually we will have to succumb. There truly is no value in this world unless survival is its own value. Value, which must encompass morality, ethics, aesthetics, religion, etc., is either what built our world or is alien to it. Ideology has value, even if the most valuable stance is to absorb all ideologies within ourselves. However, ideology is not a value, nor is it wisdom. Absolutists and intellectuals will condemn someone for not voicing strong ideologies on the platform that ideology gives purpose and value to one's life, specifically whatever ideology they are parading about as truth. Wisdom will teach us otherwise. Wise people know that once a person speaks in absolutes, they have given themselves up to being a fool. Kings, popes, and egotistical men of all sorts are the best examples of this unwisdom. The Catholic Church of Columbus's time taught that the world was divided into three masses of land in accordance to the Holy Trinity. Columbus's accidental discovery of America proved the undoing of so much of the world's geographic and religious knowledge. Kings and emperors of all nations have claimed some sort of divinity deifying themselves in order to make their rule sovereign, their words inarguable. History is replete with too many examples of these divine rulers who, either on purpose or by ignorance, led themselves or their nations to ruin. The only thing divine about most who've ruled over us is the feeling of tramping the dirt down on their graves. Abraham Lincoln taught us, nearly all men can withstand adversity. If you want to see a man's character, give him power. Living in Alabama, I can't help but agree with Woody Allen when he said, between air conditioning and the Pope, I'll take air conditioning. Few rulers, whether religious, political, or otherwise, have owned 
wisdom. This is not an insult to rulers, simply an acceptance that they are no better or wiser than the rest of us. Yet we quote them frequently as if they had something worth our hearing, which is rarely the case, and when it is, it is often because their words have been taken out of context. This is the unfortunate case with all of us, as wisdom is not inherited or even earned. Wise is something one becomes in little increments, and the wisest of all men will admit that wisdom is not a thing one possesses, it is only sought. Shakespeare will most probably be the wisest writer the world will ever know. We can read him and reread him, and yet we will never possess him. We'll never know the brilliance we are surveying in its entirety. Go stand at the ocean, look up at the stars, observe the Grand Canyon, or have a staring contest with a great mountain. Will you ever take in the whole of any of these things? King Lear, Hamlet, A Midsummer Night's Dream, to claim knowledge of these things is like standing at the mouth of the Amazon River and claiming to have seen the whole of it. Years ago, I read an article about a meteorite that scientists were claiming to be the first found from the planet Mercury. Imagine that, holding in your hand a piece of another planet, alien magma from millions of miles away. I feel like that when I read Shakespeare. All things are eternal, and this must extend to our literature, art, and music as well. Though the page may crumble, the colors fade, the stones deteriorate, and the compositions be lost, if their ideas, the inspirations that brought them to be, do not or cannot transcend time and place, then they are of little utility to the soul. Whether or not something can withstand contextualization is perhaps the best test of its greatness. Most who appreciate Shakespeare or quotations from other writers of wisdom do so completely out of context. The meaning of these wise words can be deformed in this way, but Shakespeare contains such an infinite amount of truth and wisdom that he survives all of our demolitions of his work. Will this be said of us? that 500 years hence our wisdom survives the demolition of the times? Will seekers of wisdom in the distant future seek us out, or shall we be looked upon as fools? Will our great-grandchildren ever know that we even sought the sublime, or shall all our seeking erode into the depths? Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, I have little wisdom to pass on to you. What I have can possibly be summarized in this simple thought. Sometimes I have to wonder why I spend so much time contemplating eternity, when I can't even get broccoli unstuck from my teeth. Be here, now, my soul. Brush, floss, smile, and worry not about the world to come.